Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. Hebrews chapter 4. This is where we're going to be, verses 14 through 16. If you haven't already started, it's time to get on the Dane Ortland gentle and lowly train. Uh, our sermons over the next uh, nine weeks, including today, are coming from this, are based upon the teachings of this book. Um, so I'm picking a text that's relevant to a certain segment of reading. And uh, so there are copies right back there, free for your taking. Anybody who would care to read, please grab one. They're back there. If you're coming to community group, this is a, the basis of our discussions. Uh, my group meets tonight, 4.30. We're going to be through chapter 5. So if you're coming on Thursday night, you want to be through chapter 5. They are about four pages long. So don't think five chapters. I mean, it's better than a, than a John Grisham book. Just keep plowing, just go, no problem. You can make it. You can make it. Okay, um, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 is where, where we're going to be. Uh, not too long ago, I uh, was carrying one of my younger children on my hip, like you tend to do. Right? When they're like 20, 25, 30 pounds, it begins to be a problem. You have to go to the chiropractor more often to adjust the fact that you're always walking around with this child on your, on your hip. For me, it's the right hip most of the time. And uh, I was carrying one of my, my younger children, and, um, and I complained to Holly. I said, Holly, gosh, this kid's getting so heavy, so heavy, so heavy. And, and she said, well, you know, you know, now you know what it feels like to, to be, you know, have that, like, no, you don't, yeah, you don't, like, but can you imagine, Rob, what it would feel like to have that in your body, you know, 25 pounds, which is basically what, you know, she was adding on when she was carrying this child, and I said, and I said foolishly, like a stupid husband, yeah, but that's evenly distributed. <laughs> Did not go over well. Uh, did not go over well when we were talked about it this morning on the way in uh, to use as an illustration for what I was trying to do, which, which I did not do well, which is empathize, right? I was trying to, to no, I wasn't. I just, I failed to empathize. Like, because you know what empathy is? Empathy is when you, you are trying to understand what others are thinking or feeling. Trying to just understand it. Like you want to try and put yourself in that person's shoes and understand why they may have this particular feeling about this particular thing, right? It's to have empathy for someone is to have the capacity or have the ability to imagine oneself in that person's situation. Um, trying to think about what it would be like to experience their emotions, trying to think about what it would be like to have their ideas, trying to think about why they have the opinion that they do, etc. right? That's, that's empathy. And it's good. It's a good quality. It's a helpful quality. Um, a lot of conflict and a lot of uh, dispute can go away if we would just like put ourselves in the other person's perspective just for a second, just cognitively as an exercise, try to have some empathy about where someone is coming from. This morning, we're going to talk about a quality of Jesus that is crucial for understanding who Jesus really is. And that quality is similar to empathy, but it's better. And it's 
sympathy. We're going to take a look at a text that shows us how Jesus sympathizes with us. And that's Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. So would you stand with me? We're going to read Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. The author of Hebrews writes this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that, he, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. So I'm going to show you three things from this text. We're going to start in verse 15, and then we'll go to 14 and 16, because 15 is kind of the hinge. It's the crux of the text, and it's this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. What I want you to see, first and foremost, is that Jesus... The core quality that he owns is that of sympathy. And he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. So let's just, let's break down that verse for a second. Verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Well, if you know this or not, but we have weaknesses. What the tech, we have weaknesses. We have moral weaknesses. And physical insufficiencies. And they predispose us to sin. We have moral and physical inadequacies that undermine our resistance to temptation. And they make it difficult for us to not sin. That's the definition of human being. When, uh, when I first moved back to Nashville in 2012, 2013, there was this, there was underneath the professionalism of the company that I, that I still, still work for, there was this um, underlying current of if you are in your mid-30s or early 40s, you should be a really great athlete for your age. And so there was this underlying current and culture in the, in the, among the men that I was working with that you had to like, you know, be, ex, you know, excel and exercise. Well, one of the guys that I worked with closely had, had moved back here and had kind of just let himself go. Um, his wife said, you should just start embracing your jolly self, your 70 pound heavier self. Like that's what you need to do. And he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that because where I work, there's this current of you've got to be mm, in shape. So, and he also wanted to impress our boss. So um, at five in the morning, one morning, he drove to north from Spring Hill to uh, Creve Hall and down on 65. And he drove to our boss's house at five in the morning and they put a laptop outside on the steps of the front door and they started doing the, the workout called Insanity, which by definition tells you everything there is to know about this workout. And some 10 minutes into this workout, my friend Brandon threw up all over my boss's lawn because he lacked, he had physical insufficiencies to do what the insanity was calling him to do. 
Have you ever tried to fast, like go without like actual food uh, for for a day? How did that help your attitude? Were you a jolly person? Were you happy to be around? Um, no, we get hangry really quickly. Um, it's just it's, we have physical insufficiencies that put us in a temptation to not be good people, right? They're just there. Tony Reinke wrote a book called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. And in that book, he searches out in part the impact of a smartphone on our weaknesses. Okay? If it could be proven that having a smartphone contributes to apathy in your work, or that it diminishes the amount of time that you spend with actual human beings without such a device, or if it replaces time that you'd spend doing something far more productive, would you have a smartphone? That's the premise of the book. It's revealing that we have these moral and these physical weaknesses, these insufficiencies that predispose us to sin and and undermine our resistance to do the right things and to obey the Lord. So now here's the question. How do you respond to yourself when these weaknesses are exposed? Or even a more penetrating question. How do we respond to others when their weaknesses are exposed or when you expose their weaknesses? Because the fascinating thing about Jesus is, who at his heart is gentle and low, is meek and humble, is that he knows our every weakness and his response to us is, Sympathy. It's sympathy. So we have these physical and these moral insufficiencies, and Jesus is not blind to them. We are not able to put up a front where he doesn't know that we have them. No, he sees them for exactly what they are, and his response as a holy, perfect, perfectly clean, as the passage we listened to earlier in the service, in response that he has sympathy. Not empathy. Sympathy. So when verse 15 says that Jesus, quote, is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, it doesn't mean that Jesus is capable of sympathy, but may or may not choose to show it to us. What it means is by using the double negative, uh, it's highlighting just how incredibly sympathetic Jesus is toward people who recognize their weaknesses, which is you and me. What is sympathy? The Greek word here is sympatheo. It means to suffer with in the Greek. Suffer with another person, which is different than empathy, right? Empathy means you can understand someone's suffering. You can see their point or view. But when you sympathize with someone, you enter into that person's experience and you feel their heartache in your own heart. That's sympathy. We enter into a knowledge of someone else's suffering, and that includes feeling for the other person because you too have actually been where they are. That's sympathy. So when Jesus sees our weaknesses, sees our suffering, he has, the Bible says, he doesn't just get it here, he gets it here. He has sympathy. 
He doesn't just say, I understand, Rob. It makes sense what you're going through. I want to help. He says, I have felt what you feel. Even as you feel it now, I feel it with you because I have been there. I'm grateful for both, but that's incredible. See, the the temptation is to think that because Jesus lived this perfect life and he took God's wrath on our behalf and he came out of the tomb, he ascended into heaven, that because he was divine, he must not be able to truly understand what it means to be human. At best, we think he could empathize with us because he is God, he is all-knowing, so we could at least empathize. But his divinity, Rob, the fact that he was God, prevents him from being able to experience temptation and weakness, what I... Like, like we have to experience. And the answer is no. It's not true. Because Jesus was fully human. Je- Think about this. Jesus felt in his own consciousness the difficulty of being righteous in this world. Jesus felt pressing on him all the reasons and the pressures that bend you and I to choose sin so that, uh, so that we can escape suffering. But the one difference between our temptations and Jesus is that he was never without sin. And you say, well, that's, I mean, that's sympathy. Except he, he, he gets all of it. He felt all of it. The difference between the two of us is that he didn't bend. He was not ultimately sinful. That's incredible. And so what do we do with that? If, if that's the nature of God, that's the nature of the heart of Jesus Christ, is to have sympathy toward us who are weak. What practical output, like what, what is that supposed to have on our lives? The answer is verse 14 and verse 16. Look at verse 14. Therefore... Since we have a great high priest who has passed through their heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. So, and this is also tied to verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable. So hold fast to your confession for two reasons. One is related to his role as a high priest. Second is related to the fact that he is sympathetic in that role. So there's a command here. Hold fast your confession. It means that you and I are to maintain or hold fast our public commitment to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, regardless of the circumstances that would lead us to do otherwise, whether that's persecution, which in the big picture of Hebrews, that's what's going on here, or whether that's our own sin in response to a temptation, you and I are to maintain a public commitment to the life death, and resurrection of Jesus. Maintain, maintain, hold fast the confession. 20 years ago, oh, 20 years ago, Holly and I moved to, from Dallas, Texas, we moved to first uh, to Boynton Beach, Florida, which is uh, just south of West Palm. So uh, we lived in West Palm Beach. You know, that's, that's what we would say, but we actually lived in Boynton Beach, which is right in between West Palm and Boca. Boca Raton. And uh, so we were youth ministers at First Baptist Church of Boynton Beach. And 20 years ago, um, one of the cool things that all the, well, I say cool, one of the things that, that teenagers and young adults were doing to their cars that they thought was cool at the time um, is they would put rims on the car. Um, once, so even when the car stopped at the stop sign, the rims would just keep on spinning. And they had all these different designs. 
and they would have LED lights. But no, so when the car would, would roll, you know, the rims would be spinning. And when the cars would stop, the rims would just keep on spinning, just keep on spinning. They would never, ever, ever stop spinning. You might say that they maintained a public commitment to their rimness by the fact that they kept on spinning. And that is what the author of Hebrews is saying here about you and I. Recognizing that Jesus is who he is and what he has done. Recognizing the fact that he is a sympathetic God who understands what it means to undergo all the temptation in the world, you and I respond to that sympathy. You and I respond to that work as a great high priest by keeping on, keeping on. Hold fast to confession. He is a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. What does that mean? Unlike any other earthly Jewish priest who was in the line of Aaron, Jesus had a perfect character. He performed a perfect work one time, not annually. He didn't just pass through the veil of the temple, but he passed through the heavens to the throne of God. And because of that incredible work on our behalf, we need to hold fast to our confession. But the second reason we hold fast is because he is a sympathetic God. If Jesus Jesus loves you the way that he says he loves you, If he sympathizes the way that he says he sympathizes, if he has compassion the way that he says he has compassion, if he suffers with us the way that he says he suffers with us, if he knows temptation even better than we know temptation, if he identifies with us better than we can ever identify with ourselves, then really, what choice do we have other than to hold on to the truth of Jesus? Who would walk away from that Jesus? Who would throw it away? So knowing that Jesus is sympathetic, the author of Hebrews says, don't let go of him. He's the only one who understands your weaknesses. Truly, better even than you know your own weaknesses, don't let go of that God. Hold fast to that confession. And then secondly, verse 16, approach Boldly the throne of grace. That's a very practical application. Verse 16, Therefore, given the sympathy of our high priest, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. See, just because... Just just because Jesus sympathizes, his is a relationship that you don't just hold on to. It's a relationship that you were drawn into, that you lean into. A relationship with Jesus is like a stock that you never sell and always keep buying into because it always goes up. You bank on it. You put everything that you have into it. Because of what he has done as your priest and who he is in his heart as sympathetic, you're not just compelled to hold on, but you are unreservedly running to him to maintain your confession. That's what the text calls us to do. Jesus' ministry for you, for me, did not end when he was crucified, did not end when he was resurrected and ascended, as crucial as those things are. Right now, right now, 
for eternity, Jesus is continually helping his people for the rest of their earthly lives. And here's the thing. Think about when you became a Christian. Becoming a Christian doesn't remove you from pain. It doesn't remove you from stress. It doesn't remove us from disappointment. It doesn't remove us from temptation. It doesn't remove us from suffering. It doesn't remove us from pressure. It doesn't remove us from any of those things. In fact, when you become a Christian, which was the case for those receiving this letter for the first time, becoming a Christian made their life painful, made their life full of suffering, made their life full of frustration, led to a life with lots of pressure, and so on. And all along the way, through those things, Jesus could say, I sympathize. I sympathize. But he didn't just sympathize one time in history with his life. Right now, he continually sympathizes with ongoing mercy and grace in our time of needs. And because that is what he is like, the author of Hebrews says, go after the throne. And because Jesus is sympathetic, it's not a throne of judgment. It's a throne of grace. It's a throne of mercy. If that's what Jesus is like, go to Go to him. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, hold fast to the confession because he sympathizes with you in your weakness and therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that you can receive mercy and you can find grace to help you in time of need. Jesus sympathizes. He sympathizes. One more point. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 10. Hebrews 10. Look at verse 32. That, that word sympathize is only used twice in the whole New Testament. And both of them are in the book of Hebrews. We've just read one. And the second one is in verse 34. It means to suffer along with. Look how it's used in this instruction in Hebrews 10.32. The author says, I want you to remember the earlier days. Remember, what's that called? Empathy. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you, what happened to your life? <laughs> you, when you started following Jesus, the high priest, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, and sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. And at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you, here's the word, sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring Possession. Therefore, verse 35, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You see the, you see the way that the text reflects what we've just read in, in Hebrews 4. But it's verse 34 that I want you to focus in on. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. What's going on here? The, the, the author of Hebrews is saying, I want you to think about the circumstances in your life that you have had to go through. 
and what you've had to go through as as difficult and as harsh and as challenging and as frustrating and as much as it may beat you down, it is an opportunity for you to sympathize with someone who has experienced the same thing. He says, remember when you became a Christian and all of a sudden you were treated like a prisoner, that puts you in an opportunity to think about what it must be like to be a prisoner and to minister to who? The prisoners. So the sympathy that we, the the experiences and the struggles and the sufferings that we endure in this world often become the very power of God in someone else's life through us as we share the gospel with them. When When we can take the things that we've had to endure and we're now able to sympathize with others who later endure with them, it gives us an opportunity to say, I can sympathize with you and guess what? Jesus can sympathize with both of us. And we can bring the gospel to bear on someone else's life. So what do you do with the fact that Jesus is sympathetic? Hold fast to the confession. Hold fast to the confession. Go to him boldly in your suffering and take the gospel to bear on other people's lives with whom you can be sympathetic with. That's what we do. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you boldly to a throne of grace and mercy. We know, we know without a doubt that you as a full-blown human being walked this earth and you understand even better than we can because of your perfection. We, you understand better than we can just what it means to struggle, to deal with, the, with moral and physical pressures and inadequacies and insufficiencies, and yet you, you, you did not sin. You did not sin. But your lack of sin doesn't mean that you don't sympathize with the struggles that we feel and that we suffer. You get it. You get it. In your heart, you get it. And because of that, we are drawn. Lord, draw us to you to come to you. Keep us going when we are want to give up and use us as vessels to be sympathetic and bring the gospel to bear to others who are struggling. This is our prayer, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.